Tonight's Game of Thrones feedback show is sponsored by our friends over at Blue Diamond Almonds. Are you watching Game of Thrones and tired of the same boring snacks? Let me tell you, winter is here, so is the perfect snack. Blue Diamond Almonds, whether you're going to work, if you're bored at work, if you're leaving work, these almonds are the perfect snack. Honey roasted flavored almonds, sriracha flavored almonds, wasabi and soy sauce flavored almonds. Do I have your attention? Why keep snacking on boring chips when you can go to the store and pick up Blue Diamond Almonds right now? Whatever the moment, Blue Diamond Almonds is the perfect snack. Don't deny your cravings. Go pick up some great flavors right now and eat them. Blue Diamond Almonds. Crave victoriously. The Game of Thrones season premiere is over, but we are just getting started answering your feedback here on uh, the Game of Thrones post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who don't have any elephants either. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Very depressed that this podcast did not start off with winter was here. No, well, that's, Even though, you that's know, the next in- time around. I know. We're, no, we're not doing this again. Winter is still here. Winter is still here. Winter is still here, and we are. We are. Ju- you and I are just getting started talking together about the final season premiere of Game of Thrones. Winterfell is the name of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a silent H, so not silent that it's not even in the spelling. The Ocho is under our belts, Rob, and here we are. And I'm so psyched to finally talk about a brand new episode of game of thrones together <laughs> first time in Emphasis so on the brand yeah <laughs> have you been uh, following all of the brand memes online so i saw the bran and jamie lannister curb enthusiasm uh, clip what are the brand memes uh people are having a field day with just like posting like reaction shots of people looking like extraordinarily petty uh and saying that this is bran uh, just like people who are like the, the tagline that I'm seeing a lot of, this is one that I like, uh, apologies for, uh, the harsh language, uh, Bran, this is quote unquote, quote unquote, Bran is a messy bitch who lives for drama. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who are standing Bran Stark. <laughs> standing him. Just, okay. So just lingering in, yes, just lingering in the Winterfell courtyard, just absolutely giving people the business. Uh, mm-hmm. people, people love this. There is a, there's a one person who tweeted a picture of a guy in a hospital bed after he has clearly been through a thing. Uh, it is a picture that this person sent in a text message with underneath. I lived bitch as though this is supposed to be sent to Jamie Lannister. Uh, so people are absolutely losing their minds for super petty brand Stark. People okay. love it. People, are, like people it. are here for it. Yes. We absolutely. stand a, a petty Stark. Yes. <laughs> I think that's what's happening right now. Okay. It's pretty great. Kotaku.com has a really fun roundup of all of the brand uh, internet reactions. What's that? If Kotaku? You, Kotaku. Yeah. Kotaku is like, uh, it's like anime and manga and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, video game. <laughs> video my homepage, site. Kotaku.com. 
There you I go. go here. They've got lots of good JRPG retrospectives. We're really in the weeds. Kotaku uh, Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. So, Josh. <laughs> Kotaku Overload. All right. So, le- let's get into this because uh, you have been uh, pounding away at the keyboard uh, yes. over at uh, THR.com slash Game of Thrones. Uh, could, could you uh, rattle off the list of articles you've published since the... <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> since yeah, the cl- credits. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the at the page right now. So uh, we had every Game of Thrones season premiere ranked, uh, which was an article that had already existed. And we updated our rankings with this season premiere. Uh, There is the Game of Thrones final season premiere podcast breaking down the beginning of the end. If you have not heard me in your ears talking about Game of Thrones already, that exists in a special edition series regular episode that I recorded with Dan Feinberg, which is a guy, you know, I've known Dan for a good number of years. We Love met Dan on, Feinberg. Yeah, he's the best. And we met on uh, set visits uh, several, several years ago uh, before, like, I really understood that he's like a really big deal. You know, him like, you know, him, mm-hmm. him and Seppenwall, like classic combo. And uh, I allowed myself like a little bit of a moment to, to not that podcasting with you isn't a very special deal, but I'm yeah. a little bit used to it. To so podcast with Dan Feinberg was, uh, that was that was pretty exciting. Uh, so that podcast exists if you want to put your ears on that. Uh, Game of Thrones final season premiere raises the Iron Throne stakes is the very urgent headline attached to my recap of Winterfell at the season premiere. Uh, speaking of standing a Petty Stark, I have an interview with, with Isaac Hempstead Wright, which is posted at THR.com slash Game of Thrones. And this is like, we did this before the memes really became a thing. And even he, he loves brand these days. Uh, this is just a, a quote from, uh, from him when he's talking about uh, everybody kind of like recreating the Winterfell scene uh, and sort of like doing this new version of it uh, from, uh, from this episode and how it connects to the, to the early days of the show. He said it was really fun. I recall it took a couple of days to film. It was quite a big scene. And Bran has all of these weird lines like, we don't have time for all of this. It was so fun. I've really grown to love being this weirdo in the corner who pipes up with strange abstract commentary every now and then that makes everyone go, what? Yeah. That's a quote from Isaac Hempstead, right? So he lo- he stands a Petty Stark as well, I believe. Um, so that is one of the, the stories that I've got. We've yeah, got we a- need Bran in uh, like full Jack Bauer mode of like, uh, damn it, Chloe, running out of time. I feel like we're getting there. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's Damn it, impossible. Jamie. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think he could warg into Jamie Lannister and have some real Jack Bauerish moments coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's impossible. Uh, we have this. We have Game of Thrones final season trailer promises fire, blood, and ice cold war in episode two, which is a deep dive into the trailer. Uh, we've got uh, my takes on David Benioff and Dan Weiss's Inside the HBO episode that runs after each episode. Uh, I did a deep dive into the new opening credit sequence yeah. and why that's something that's worth paying attention to. I rounded up 11 callbacks to the pilot mm-hmm. from this episode. I interviewed your friend and mine, Sam Tolley. Spoke with the great John Bradley about his fantastic work. <laughs> in this episode and he had quite a bit to say about why sam is a hard pass on daenerys targaryen and uh more to come more to come that's just that's just in uh 24 hours you are a national treasure josh wiggler i don't know how you are on your feet or at least uh how you are still uh alive 
On top of all of that, you and I have already recorded a wiggle room today over yes. for RHAP. I'm still in the process That's of writing right. and recording a bonus series regular that should post on Wednesday. And now you and I are podcasting for what is my third podcast of the day and your 11,000. <laughs> uh, so we both have had very, very active too. I think it's my third Mondays. Too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's been, it's been, it's been a long we were recording this. this late at night on a Monday, and uh, I, it's it's pure adrenaline and excitement Good. to get to finally talk to you about a new Game of Thrones right Let's now. have fun. All right. Game of Thrones uh, premiere. I saw it on uh, Twitter as well. Uh, you were happy. I liked it a lot. Of course I did. I think this is the best premiere that they've done. Whoa. Uh, call it recency bias. Call it whatever you want. I, I Listen, th- like the, the contingent of people who are like furious that there's no huge action scene in this episode, there are not always huge action scenes in Game of Thrones. A lot of the time, the best parts of Game of Thrones are the really talky scenes because you get to see these really fun characters and these great mm-hmm. actors doing fun character stuff and great acting moments. Uh, and there was so much of that in this episode. And on top of that there were people who were meeting each other for the very first time whose journeys we've traveled you know we've traveled alongside them every step of the way from in many cases from the very beginning of the show uh characters who haven't seen each other since like the first or second episode second episode in the case of john and Arya, and you're finally seeing these characters cross paths again you have the huge john snow reveal i know it's taken forever it has taken forever for the show to just like really articulate the significance of john snow being the son of rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, but now John knows about it, and I had been highly concerned in the offseason that maybe the show would find some path where they just never even brought that up for John. They did it in the first episode, and the Yara, Yara, the Yara stuff. There are people who are complaining about no. that, which is madness to me. <laughs> Absolute insanity. We mercifully got the Yara Gradually Rescue Operation handled mm-hmm. in a minute and a half remarkable yeah i thought this was a great episode i'm very amped up i'm really excited about how this sets up the final season very happy yeah i am not as high on it as you i thought it was a fine return for the show i'm not gonna get worked up about not a ton of stuff going on in terms of uh, action or uh, moving things along this was basically your table setting episode the table is set if we spend another episode setting the table, though, I think uh, that's when we riot. Well, I so so I think that's interesting. The premieres are always table setters. Yeah. I don't think that there's an exception to that rule. It's a, it's a tradition on Game of Thrones that this is always an episode that is really setting the deck for where we're going. Um, and deck is set. Deck is deck is set. But I think that a lot of the work that needs to be done for this final season is internal. I think it's a lot of internal stuff. I think it's a lot of the character work that needs to be done. It's a lot of the existential stuff that needs to be done. Yes, there's an army of the dead that is bearing down upon Winterfell, but frankly, when they get there, that's probably gonna, just by the the nature of what that conflict would look like, that's probably going to happen really, really fast. So a lot of the work that needs to happen leading up to that is establishing Who's going to be left over once those wars are won so that we we have characters at, by the end of this show who have meaningful import in each other's lives and in the lives of everybody else in Westeros. Um, and we're going to have to establish the stakes of some of these dynamics for the people who aren't going to survive whatever's about to happen. I don't think that episode two is going to be especially action packed. 
I think that episode two is going to be a lot more of the character type of stuff. And I'm excited about that because I think the bigger deal that we're starting to chew on in this episode, that if it's a table setter, it's not just about the character stuff and it's not just about getting everybody either in position to deal with the White Walkers or very much not in the case of Cersei and those people. Um, But I think we're also really starting to get a sense of what this story wants us to be left with when it comes to power structures and who's going to be on the iron throne and should anybody be on the iron throne. And I'll say, uh, riffing off of our feedback show that we did, uh, coming into this, uh, series of podcasts for the final season. I think that my prediction for who's going to wind up on the iron throne is looking worse and worse. And yours is looking pretty good. Uh, which is to say I picked Daenerys and you picked nobody. Uh, and I'm feeling like <laughs> you're Arya. probably right. That wasn't my Arya pick. Nobody. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I think a lot of that is the material we're, we're singing our teeth into here. And I'm really happy with all of that. And I'm really happy the more we keep digging into that. I want to see the Night King battles and all of that as well. Um, but that is not the, the primary engine for me as far as interest in this final season of Game of Thrones. Were you surprised that we did not even see the Night King here in the season eight premiere as we are setting the table? I don't think that we needed to. I, I liked what we got of the White Walkers. I thought that that scene was really creepy at Last Hearth. Uh, sure, like you, you call the kid with the eyes a mile away that that's going to go down as soon as you see him nailed to the wall. We know how the, the you know, uh, we, we know how that, that type of scene works both on Game of Thrones and just in horror genre constructs. Uh, that kid's going to wake up for one last scare at the very least. Uh, but I, I liked the enigma. I liked the mystery surrounding it. Uh, we certainly, in this feedback show, We'll have some questions about what all of that meant uh, with what went down at Last Hearth. But I don't think that we I don't think that we can see the Night King really in a very meaningful way until he hits Winterfell. And the second that he hits Winterfell, game on. Like that's going to be where things really, really escalate. So I think it needs to be a minute before we see the Night King. I was not mad at all that we didn't see him in this episode. Okay, Josh, I know you are sitting on a uh, bag of ravens from our listeners uh, that have been sent in with feedback questions from our listeners. I think that in a normal week, we will record this on Tuesday. So we are a a little bit rushing it, recording this on Monday night after the premiere. But I believe in the following weeks, uh, we will have our feedback show recording on Tuesday afternoon. That is correct. Tuesdays will be the date for recording these shows. We're a little yes. early this week. Uh, we got a lot of great feedback to to muscle our way through here. For people who are going to listen to this podcast, don't already know how to send us your ravens, here are a few of the ways. You can tweet at us, of course. I am at Round Howard. Rob is at Rob Sesternino. You can use our feedback form at postshowrecaps.com slash feedback, or you can email us, GOT, at postshowrecaps.com. Dot com. Uh, those are all very valid ways to, to get us your questions, and please do so. Uh, we would love to hear from you in the weeks ahead. Okay. Do we want to reopen our voicemail inbox? Ooh, yeah. You'll have to remind me how to access all that. <laughs> I will. I will. For future weeks. <laughs> yeah. Postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail if you want to leave us a uh, voicemail as well. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, but we have so much to get through, so if you're ready. I'm ready. We'll just, let's just open this, this mailbag Right up. Uh, The great, very prolific uh, feedback questioner, uh, Spencer Y, is going to kick us off here. Spencer Y wants to talk about something that is uh, prevalent all throughout the episode, the callbacks, Rob. So many callbacks 
throughout this first episode of Game of Thrones to various different points throughout the series. Various? Uh, var- various different points throughout the series. No eunuch jokes. I think Tyrion was being really nasty to Varys, uh, to be completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we've got we got a lot of callbacks to very specifically the, the very first episode of Game of Thrones, the pilot. Uh, for some people, that was very fun. For other people potentially not so fun and this is from spencer spencer says there's so many callbacks in this episode is that good nostalgia or potentially too spoilery the winterfell boy climbing the tree like bran climbing the tower where he fell in the pilot episode john and danny looking at the snowy waterfall cliffs like john and egret having their steamy time together in the caves during season four let's not get any more explicit than that uh at this point if or when John dies, I fully expect he will be stabbed in the torso and lie face up with open eyes amidst a growing pool of blood, just like how he got killed by the Night's Watch mutineers at Castle Black in the season five finale. Occasional self-references are nice, but do you worry that it's a little bit too lazy or perhaps even spoilery when a show uses too many callbacks to past episodes during its final season. So Rob, uh, I must yes. admit that in our, in our very busy, uh, 24 hour period, since all of the game of Thrones action has been going down, I have not yet been able to listen to snow at alls. So I apologize if mm-hmm. I am asking you to retread any ground here. Uh, but what is your take on the various callbacks that we heard throughout this episode? And do you think they're problematic in any way? Do you think they spoil the future of the show? No, Uh, I I need to talk to Spencer. Spencer, you are getting yourself worked up. Okay. Everything is going to be fine that we just had a couple of things that were similar to the premiere episode of the show. It's the first episode of the final season and that's fine. We can go back and, and have some echoes of what has happened before, but we, we are not necessarily having the same things happen as like when uh, the force awakens came out. There's a lot of people that said like, Hey, isn't this the same exact movie as star Wars, a new hope. Uh, and, and you could certainly make that argument, but I, I don't see what happened here in this first episode is now that they are spoiling anything of how this is going to happen. And that, everything that everything big plot point to come is going to just be some version of something that they've already done on the show. Have you watched the trailer for star Wars, the rise of Skywalker? I did. What did you think? It's fine. Did you like it when emperor Palpatine laughed? Mm, it's like, yeah, what is going on? What is going on? Uh, that, uh, where's he coming from? Did you see uh, that somebody recut the trailer so that the Emperor Palpatine laugh is replaced with Seth Rogen laughing? <laughs> no, I did not see that. Is that. I feel like that's a good meme in the making. Yeah. Uh, where's that on Kotaku.com? No, it's Kotaku. Okay. Seth Rogen retweeted it. Uh, anyway, back on track for Game of Thrones. I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I, I think that the, the callbacks Spencer, are... don't get so worked up. Listen, we're all, we all have a lot at stake here. Everybody wants the show to end the right way, you know, and I yeah. and I, I, I feel that I definitely do. I, I think he's talking the, himself into something that's not didn't happen yet. I think that for the most part, hopefully a lot of the ways that the characters storylines resolve will have roots in their previous actions and in right. previous you know moments from the show. 
but that's good writing <laughs> foreshadowing know, that's, yeah that's foreshadowing it's it's bringing it's bringing characters full circle or at least you know closing out some loops in in various cases which really is bringing something full circle if you're closing out a loop i would say uh but i mean you look at a lot of the deaths throughout the show uh look at ned stark uh the way that he dies he has his head removed in a public execution and he is not killed by the person who's carrying the sentence. He is the, the person who's, who, who, you know, carries the sentence does not carry the sword in that case. And this very honorable man dies this very dishonorable death when one of the very first notable things about Ned Stark was him executing a man, beheading a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of moments like that throughout the show of ways that people's final fates connect to uh, either their first appearances or hallmarks of their characters, uh, not the channel. Uh, And I think we'll probably see a whole lot of that um, throughout. And I think we'll see, you know, that beyond the context of death. I don't think it'll just be for death, as we saw in Winterfell, as we saw in this episode, that, you know, like Spencer says, there's the kid who climbs the castles. Uh, That calls back to both Arya and Bran in the first episode. The whole procession of Daenerys showing up at Winterfell, right. very similar to King Robert. And I think that's fun. And I think in, in a lot of ways, it's a very easy shorthand into, into letting us appreciate just how far these characters have come on their journey and how far the journey of Game of Thrones as an entity uh, has, has progressed. Uh, and I like that. Maybe that's not going to be for everybody, but I don't think that's a, a failing on the writer's part. But you don't feel like any parts of the show are spoiled for you because of things that have happened in the past. No, I think what's going to happen is like you're going to see, you know, like you're going to see like Brienne of Tarth die in a way that is going to make you feel like, oh, that makes a lot of sense given what happened mm-hmm. earlier in the show. You know, to to make up an example, which hopefully will not happen for Brienne of Tarth if you're a Brienne of Tarth fan. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what I'm expecting to see. And that's not going to be like this was ruined for me. It's gonna be like, oh, that connects and that's surprising and that's delightful in the sense that you guys did a really great job of connecting these two points. Uh, that won't be a spoiler for me. That will be a triumph. For OK. Me. All right. Well, um, we're on the same page. Right. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, let's talk about. Jon Snow. Jon Snow getting the very big news this week that he is not exactly who he thinks he is. His father is not exactly Mm -hmm. who he thought he was. It was a big bombshell. And Jon Snow has now found out that he is Aegon Targaryen the sixth. Uh, heir to the Iron Throne and all the all that jazz. Uh, this is from Jack from Maryland who wants to know when do we think John is going to share what he just learned with everyone else? Will he have time before the impending battle? What do you think, Rob? Uh, this was, you know, again, it, it, I could have very easily envisioned the scenario where John just never found out that he was Aegon Targaryen. Now he knows at the very least. But can you envision the scenario where he just sits on this and doesn't mm-hmm. tell anybody else. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. On, on the podcast last night, I was talking about that. I was really looking at this from the perspective of how is Daenerys going to react to that news? Because that uh, we know that John, he is you know a very uh, reluctant ruler. He could uh, care less about being the king of anything. Uh, sitting on the Iron Throne is uh, not something that's uh, going to be on his bucket list anytime soon. But that uh, for Daenerys, I feel like that she'll be very threatened uh, if she learns this information. So I do think it would be you know, very Jon Snow to sit on this information. 
I think so, too, Uh, especially if the battle is about to heat up, you know, like if in the real time of the show, there's like a couple of days or even like a day between now and the arrival of the Night King. There's not a lot of time for Jon Snow to like pull Daenerys aside and be like, so listen, that being said, Jon Snow is nothing if not incredibly truthful. You know, he he had a very hard time lying to Cersei Lannister at the Dragon Pit in the mm-hmm. season seven finale, even though if he had lied, if he had just played along, maybe he would be uh, spared whatever terrible thing is going to come to the way of the army of the living courtesy of Cersei Lannister because she realizes that she's been backed into a corner uh, if John had just lied about that. So is he going to do something stupid like that again and like jeopardize everything by enraging Daenerys and saying, so listen, this is awkward. A, you're my aunt and B, I'm actually the one who is the heir to the Iron Throne. And I feel like that she'd be more mad about the second thing. I think so too. Yeah. I think she'd be very upset. Aunt Schman. <laughs> Aunt Schman? Yeah. I never had an Aunt Schman. <laughs> yeah. So I think that Jon Snow, you know, why risk upsetting, you know, that we barely have uh, all the uh, northern houses fighting with the Starks at this point. Uh, if you tell Daenerys, she could leave with her armies. So, yeah, he's got everything to lose and nothing to gain by telling people this information. Yeah, I I still think that especially like so John knows now and that can drive him a little bit uh, moving forward in terms of the way that he's going to operate. And and that can all happen without him telling anybody else he could die. He could get killed off by the end of the show without having told anybody. And then the idea of Jon Snow as this like fabled warrior uh, that that was supposed to be on the Iron Throne and never made it. But instead, he saved everybody. He saved the realms of men uh, like he can kind of fall into the pages of history without ever having to have owned up to any of that. Uh, and that feels like that's fairly true to that type of character. Uh, then again, it, it's hard to reconcile that with Jon Snow, the, the truth teller. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure where this is going to go, but I could see it falling either way. Okay. All right. How about uh, how about some feedback from your friend of mine, Mr. Mike Blue? Oh, yes, please. Yes, yes. Mr. Mike wrote in. Uh, he wants to talk about Daenerys and uh, Jon Snow's uh, half-sister slash cousin, Sansa. Uh, Mike says... The premiere took no time at all to show how awkward the interactions between Santa, between Danny and the other Starks would be, specifically with Sansa. And I have full confidence that the two will eventually come together to take on the Night King because, to loosely quote Bran, ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. Uh, my question is, when and how do you think they'll be able to mend fences? My theory is that they'll pull a meet the parents and put Danny under a lie detector test <laughs> and Bran will serve as the human lie detector considering how he called Littlefinger out in the season seven finale. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> Are uh, you looking at me, Lord Fokker? <laughs> Are you looking at me? Uh, does the dragon have nipples? Can you milk the dragon? <laughs> Can you milk the dragon? It's a good question. Oh, man. They're going to pop the cork and destroy Viserion's ashes. Uh, yeah. Poor but- Sir Pounds. Poor Sir Pounds' ashes. So to me... The like feuding with Daenerys about, you know, what is she looking for? Uh, I do think that that undercuts the dramatic tension of, hey, Night King just burst through the wall. Night King has a dragon. 
Night King's on his way to Winterfell. And I feel like that we have a lot of characters that are very much concerned with the Littlefinger stuff, where they're very concerned with, you know, who's going to run Winterfell, who's going to run King's Landing, who's going to sit on the Iron Throne. And I just feel like that the point that was at the end of last season was that none of that matters. But it seems like there's a lot of people still thinking and talking about that. Yeah, I I think so too. But but I think it it matters insofar as like the practicals. And I think I I I hear where Sansa is coming from. I I think that like the feud that might be bubbling up here between Sansa and Daenerys, or not even might be at this point, it clearly is. Uh, this makes more sense to me than the Sansa and Arya oh, stuff. Oh, well, I mean, anything makes more sense than <laughs> Sansa and Arya. Yeah. But I think this makes more sense because you know Sansa points out like. We had food mapped out for a certain amount of people to gather through the winter. We can't, like, feed freaking dragons. We can't feed a Dothraki army. Mm-hmm. We've got no room for you people. Molestown's not going to fit everybody. Uh, you know, the, the winter town is not going to fit everybody. So they, they, have to, they have to figure this stuff out. And on top of that, John Meat has once... Pie. You know, summon hot pie for sure. Get a get a Druber his way and send him up. Druber eats. Uh, you know, they they have to figure that out. And and I think that Sansa, you know, her her points are in large part reinforced by the Liana Mormont stuff of like you bent the knee. We were we rallied behind the king in the north. We got no idea what the Dragon Queen's all about. And it's just another instance of John didn't consider anybody else. And, you know, Sansa corners John at one point in the episode and is like, did you did you bend the knee? Did you bend the knee? Did you bend the knee? Oh, my goodness. To Daenerys because you thought it was the right thing to do. Or is it because you're an idiot who is in love and like he doesn't say anything? Can it be both things? Yeah. The answer is because he's an idiot who's in love. Yeah. Uh, And I I think it's going to be it's going to be very compelling to see how this stuff plays out. Because I really do think that the show is very clearly now, you know, it it was some stuff that was, you know, in question along the way. And I think that the seventh season was really starting to make us question some of Daenerys's actions. But this episode really highlighted when you like contrasted her decision to execute the Tarleys uh in from from that moment which was already questionable because Tyrion was there being mm-hmm. like I don't know if this is the right call and then you throw that out to Sam and have Sam process what has happened to his father and his brother uh and have Daenerys like conveying this news kind of emotionlessly to the most reasonable person on the show or at least one of them in the form of Sam and the way he reacts to that and goes to John and is like not only are you the heir to the Iron Throne, but you really ought to be the king and she really shouldn't be the queen. She's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that the the show really does want to consider those mad queen qualities in a way that I don't think I fully appreciated coming into the final season. Okay, Josh, before we go any further with our feedback, uh, let me take a moment. We got a a new segment that we want to try out here on the feedback show. And uh, here's what I want to try. I want to talk about our uh, not boring moment of the week, as in this moment was nuts, uh, sponsored by our friends over at Blue Diamond Almonds. Because if you're watching 
watching Game of Thrones and you are eating the same old boring snacks, you can get out of here with that because winter is here and so is the perfect snack. Blue Diamond Almonds with never boring options like honey roasted flavor, sriracha flavored and wasabi and soy sauce flavored almonds. Yo, give me some of that honey roasted almonds. I want those in my hands right now to snack on the treats. Do you have a a, a, uh, moment of the week that really had you on the edge of your seat? Ooh, uh, probably the the dragon flight, right? I mean, that was like a never-ending story level. Uh, that was like... <laughs> Wait, uh, never-ending uh, story level is the highest high? Yeah, they're literally mm-hmm. riding on Falcor and, and cruising through the sky. Do they serve as, almonds on this flight? As this dog dragon is screaming <laughs> and you're on there and you're pumping your fists up. And Say my name! Sh- yeah, sure, it smells like wet dog, but it's Falcor, man. I think Jon Snow was like feeling those Falcor vibes while he was on Rhaegal. All right. Well, whether you're going to work, if you're bored at work or leaving work, these almonds are the perfect snack. Honey roasted sriracha wasabi and soy flavored white snack on boring chips when you can go to the store and pick up blue diamond almonds right now. Whatever the moment, blue diamond almonds is the perfect snack. Don't deny your cravings. Go pick up some great flavors right now. Eat them. Blue diamond almonds crave victoriously. Okay. How quickly would you crush a bag of boring chicken flavored almonds, though? Uh, well, uh, pretty, that's pretty, feels, pretty feels like, fast. That feels like a trick question. Yeah. Uh, boy, <laughs> but uh, it seems like the dragons could use some almonds. They could use some almonds. That was a great line, right? When, Daener- when Daenerys is asked, what do dragons eat? She's like, whatever they want. Except they're not eating. I know there. And didn't they have like 18 goats? And then Daenerys's response like, that's not enough. It's not enough. They're hardly wow. eating. They're hardly uh, eating. She, so let's go really take them for a joy the ride. Yeah. Almond joy that ride. <laughs> yeah. Blue diamond almond joy that ride. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall, shall we move forth through our, through our feedback? Uh, let's get into some iron Island stuff. Why not? Uh, the show did a little iron Island stuff. Okay. We should do. Uh, this is from Stephanie to you and me. Uh, Stephanie writes in, all right, guys, I've been stewing over this premiere and the seemingly randomness of a lot of these scenes and conversations that was thrown at us in the first episode. And one that is sticking with me is the lackluster rescue of Yara Greyjoy. Was this scene that seemed too easy all just a setup? Will our heroes all lose the battle to the undead and ultimately retreat to the Iron Islands, leaving the White Walkers and the Night King to take on Cersei and her army? Does this all end with the Night King sitting on the Iron Throne while a new kingdom is set up in the Iron Islands where the White Walkers cannot go? Yeah. What do you think? Okay. What was the What was the point of resolving the Iron Island stuff this early? Which I... Could not disagree more with with Steph, the Stephanie's mm-hmm. of the world. I'm so happy that it was over so quickly. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit last night. Uh, first off, can we just th- uh, throw out the idea of the Night King sitting on the Iron Throne uh, in terms of like, why does he want to sit on the Iron Throne? He doesn't. I mean, the Night King, it would be like if aliens were going to invade Earth to go and uh, become the, the, the president to go sit in the Oval Office. Like, why, why would this chair matter to somebody who is uh, not of this world? 
definitely now imagining the Martians from Mars attacks <laughs> in Westeros vying for the Iron Throne. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, could you imagine the Night you. King is now he's sitting there on the Iron Throne and like a uh, Night King, first of his name. Yeah, I want Jack Nicholson's character from that movie to sit on the Iron <laughs> Throne and to meet the Night King and have his whole "Why can't we all just get along?" <laughs> yeah, speech like that'd be great. Underrated movie. Okay, so in terms that's of, not happening. I agree. Yeah. I think we can wipe Night King. I mean, we we can con- continue to consider victory for the White Walkers. Oh yeah, uh, I think that that's on the table. Stephen Phelps so said too. there was a zero percent chance. I think it's on the table. It's on uh, the table. I think it's a low chance, but I think it's on the table. Right. But that being said, so. Uh, I think that uh, we are probably not going to see that much more about what's going on. I can't imagine that we end up in a scenario where things are going so bad that Daenerys has to, you know, fall back to the Iron Islands. I agree. Um, that being said, I, I think I, I think Euron will will absolutely obviously die at some point this season. Uh, and I still think Theon probably will as well. And I think what needed to happen here and why this needed to be resolved so quickly was because I think Theon needs a win. Theon needs to get his groove back to some degree. He needs to, to Yara, Yara, the Yara stuff, get through that really quickly so that he can feel galvanized and ready to, to get to Winterfell, to, to join that fight, to be of use there uh and the use that he'll provide is not one that i think that he goes there intending i'm feeling like theon is going to be the chaperone at the exact right time like i think that the the white walkers and the night king they're going to arrive at winterfell and mess everything up Mm -hmm. people are going to die a few characters are going to escape Maybe a bunch of characters, maybe a bunch of main characters will escape. John and Danny will be able to to dragon off to wherever they need to go. Uh, but Theon, with the one ship that he's taking to go and join the Winterfell fight, I think that is going to be very lucky timing for some people who need to escape Winterfell uh, and get out of the North once the North gets really, really bad. So I think oh, for me... That's that's the big reason why I think they need to resolve the Yara stuff quickly, because now they need to get Theon in place to be kind of like a, a, a deus ex machina for for some of these characters. Uh, and maybe he is the guy who then, you know, ferries them to their next place. Maybe he dies somewhere in that rescue attempt and they just need a different character who knows a thing or two about sailing ships, i.e. a Davos Seaworth to still be alive to commandeer that Greyjoy ship. Uh, think it, you know, I, I think something like that could be and in the fall offing. Back to King's Landing, do you think? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think it would make a lot of sense if, if Theon is either dead and Davos has taken over the ship or it's just Davos's idea that it's well established that that is a man who knows how to, how to smuggle his way into King's Landing. Uh, so I think all of that kind of, uh, for me, that feels like it writes itself. Yeah. What everybody in the North should do is sail to Dorne so that they really get the jump on Cersei because then Cersei would have to uh, fight the Night King first. Uh, well, I, that might not be a bad segue into to this theory uh, that, that we got thrown our way. This is from Randy. Randy wrote in and said, I believe that Cersei is going to give up her unborn son to the Night King for an alliance. 
with only 20,000 soldiers and no elephants from the Golden mm-hmm. Company, I don't see any other play. Is it really that crazy if Cersei and the Night King team up? I give the Night King 99 sons. Yeah, keep in mind, she already has an undead soldier working for her. Uh, What do you think about the possibility of Cersei and the Night King getting in bed with one another in terms of military strategy? Oh, uh... Yeah, no chance. Although the Night King does have like uh, those like woolly mammoths, right? He's got stuff. We, mm-hmm. don't, we don't know the full extent of what he's got. He's, he could have ice spiders, which would be crazy. So I can't see Cersei then. I mean, first off, Cersei, how far along is she? Is she a month pregnant here? So I, I don't know if we're going to have a time jump here in these five episodes. Doubtful. Highly doubtful. So I, I don't know how we're at the scenario where it's like if Cersei was, you know, uh, almost to term, m- m- we can talk about it. But I don't think that that is a, a one baby is go- not going to necessarily uh, satisfy whatever the Night King is looking for. There's uh, a lot of chatter about the Night King for a character who did not appear in this episode. A lot of people have questions about the Night King. Uh, in fact, two different people named Zach. Uh, wrote in with the same theory about the Night King. I will just read one of them. Uh, This is from, uh, again, your pal and mine, Zach Brooks, uh, wrote in and said, did the Night King sigil he made with the Umber Kid look Targaryen-ish to you? I thought about it a few times, that when we've seen that whirlwind Night King pattern before, but but never so overtly as when it lit on fire. Plus, the camera held that shot for a while, so it's got to be important... Does this mean we're getting some Targaryen Night King connection? Is the Night King going to be a Targaryen ancestor? Is that why he can ride a dragon? And is that why he couldn't kill Jon Snow? Because he is his ancestor. What do you think about this? This oh. was also written in by Zachary, who who wanted to know if he was overthinking the idea that maybe the Night King is actually a Targaryen. I think we've talked along the way about the possibilities, Rob, that the Targaryen, not the Targaryens, that the Night King, that the Night King could potentially have some sort of link to House Stark. Uh, are we missing it? Is it actually House Targaryen? And did you think that the uh, the sigil that was lit up at uh, Last Hearth did that look Targaryen esque to you? So. It did not at the time. I'm looking at it now and I definitely can see it, but I think it's a stretch. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm not either. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice if I disagreed with you so we could have like a contentious back and forth. Um, But I don't buy it. I don't Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, we've we've seen this pattern associated with the children of the forest many times. Um, We saw in the in the cave drawings back in season seven when when john and danny go into the dragonstone cave and you can see that pattern is there uh we've seen it with the children of the forest uh in these in in season six is the door the hold the door episode uh where we get the confirmation that the children of the forest created the white walkers out of uh out of men that they had captured by uh, driving dragon glass into their hearts Mm -hmm. um so my thinking is that 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 symbol has has meaning has resonance within the children of the forest uh and the white walkers are reclaiming that symbol you know they're reclaiming that symbol from their ancestors their ancestors being the children of the forest and they're like perverting that symbol for their own use you know as their own rallying cry like they're taking that back uh they're they're using that as like a declaration of their new march down on uh the realms of men and desecrating 
the 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 you know the leftovers of Westeros that the children of the forest had left behind so many uh, thousands of years earlier. Uh, and I don't view it as much more than that. There could be something that comes up in the next few episodes that really clarifies it in a much more specific way. Uh, I just don't think that we have that on the show yet. I think all we have on the show is its association with the children of the forest. And during all of that time, there weren't Targaryens. There were, there were no Targaryens during the time that the children of the forest were creating the White Walkers, except for maybe some Targaryen uh, ancestors in old Valyria. But that was unconnected to everything that was going on in Westeros. So I have a hard time seeing it. I know it's a, it's a really popular theory online right mm-hmm. now. Um, it's just, it's not one that I'm buying into the, the symbols look relatively similar, but not, not close enough. I think that they're distinct enough that they're different things. I do think that this is the kind of thing though, that is going to get game of Thrones in trouble in the final season where we're talking about characters. And the more we talk about characters, uh, the better a chance. I think the show has to stick the landing when we are inventing and inserting mysteries that are going to be revealed in these next five episodes oh it's a message from the night king what did the message mean now we need a satisfying answer to this mystery that nobody was caring or thinking about two days ago so now this is a thing that it's going to be very hard to have a satisfying answer to this question yeah I mean, look, let's let's have let's have fun on on these podcasts. Let's have fun with these final few episodes. Let's let's bat these things back and forth. Let's talk about these things. Let's let's posit the the possibilities. Uh, Let's meditate on all of the the possible directions that this could go. Uh, But if you are somebody who is listening to this and you have any, um, you know, if if you place any stock or value in Rob and myself as Game of Thrones fans and what we tend to be interested in with Game of Thrones, I think I could I could speak for you here and Rob and say that I don't think either of us would really are thinking about these questions too much as we're looking for a satisfying end for Game of Thrones. I think the satisfying stuff for us will be how the characters are going to resolve and how sort of like the, the meat and potatoes aspects of the story are going to wrap themselves up. Yeah, I just don't think that there is any chance that there is a satisfying answer to that question. And so Agreed. it is not something that I want to spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah. Um, so, well, we've got one more question about the about the Night King's warning. Uh, this is from Bridget. who says, I was just wondering about the symbol on the wall with the Umber Boy's burning body. When it was set on fire, it was eerily similar to the Targaryen house symbol. Could Danny be the target for the Night King? Are they warning us that Danny would not be a good ruler. Do you think that there's any Targaryen association whatsoever? Like, could this be specifically pointing at somebody like Daenerys rather than it be pointing at the Night King himself being a Targaryen? I mean, the Night King did have a pretty clear shot on Daenerys if his whole thing was making sure Daenerys never becomes the person that sits on the Iron Throne. I feel like he would have probably handled the events of Beyond the Wall differently. Yeah, agreed. I mean, doesn't mean that that's not what he's thinking, but I don't think that he seems motivated by that particular concern. Let's move away from the Night King. Let's talk about let's talk about who's actually sitting on the Iron Throne and something that she is planning. This is uh, this is about Cersei and a different character in the King's Landing story arc. And let's turn to our good friend Brendan of House Fitzy, uh, who writes in and says, what did you guys think? Of Cersei trying to contract out the killing of Tyrion and Jaime to Bronn. I think it's an interesting way to keep Bronn on the show and involved, but not sure 
it's going to work out for him. Uh, did this come as a surprise to you at all, Rob, that this was like a storyline that is even, you know, being introduced well, in, in this episode? Because if it's being introduced in this episode in some way, shape or form, uh, Bron, you know, with his like his Lannister loyalties being tested is going to be at least a, a fairly major beat for that mm-hmm. character moving forward. Yeah. So you and I talked about this in uh, the rewatch of how were they going to get Braun involved because Jamie left him behind in King's Landing and Cersei kind of has no use for him. So what is his story in season eight? So we have this introduced to get Braun to where all of the action is going on in Winterfell. Stephen brought up something really interesting last night that we both felt like, okay, no way Braun is actually going to kill Jamie or Tyrion but Stephen pointed out that crossbow is going to go off that that crossbow that killed Tywin Lannister who is going to be the ultimate recipient of a crossbow arrow from that weapon great question uh let's talk about some of the possibilities I think that you could imagine you could imagine Jamie getting killed in that way I think um, I think I think we have to consider any one of the Lannisters getting killed in that way. Like that could work for Cersei. Yes, uh, definitely. You know, especially like the more Tywinian she becomes mm-hmm. uh, for, for her to, to die in that capacity, I think would make some sense um, for Tyrion to have the crossbow returned to him. I think could make some sense. Uh, the other thing that I would like to consider is that that crossbow doesn't go off, uh, but a different crossbow does. And it's one that has already gone off on the show. And that is, uh, it is called the scorpion Mm -hmm. is the name of the gigantic crossbow that was used in season seven that Maester Kyburn introduced back then, uh, and was used by Bronn to, uh, to, to attempt to at least, uh, attempt to assassinate Daenerys and the dragons and managed to wound Drogon. But that was it. It's back in the opening credits. Uh, when you, when you look in the opening credits and they and they crawl through King's Landing, one of the last things you see is you're going through King's Landing and you're in. Uh, I, I believe you're you're on you're you're. I don't know what it's called off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I'm very fried. Uh, but it's the it's underneath the Red Keep and you see Balerion the Dread and you see the scorpion there that's pointing at the skull's head mm-hmm. and then you're thrust back up into the throne room. And I wonder if that's just there as just like kind of like a fun detail and a nod back to last season and just like you're kind of like filling out space in the Red Keep. But I think that we should be paying pretty close attention to these opening credits. I bet there's a lot of Easter eggs in there that in retrospect are going to make a lot more sense. And uh, next week we is Easter. Picture. It's, it is indeed. So I, I think that the the bringing like the idea of the crossbow into the show and saying like this has to go off, I don't know that it necessarily has to be that crossbow. I think that it could be the scorpion. And I think that the the plan to kill one of Danny's dragons via the scorpion Maybe that's not off the table after all. Maybe like in the later stage of this final season, if Daenerys and Jon go to King's Landing, they've defeated the Night King or whatever at that point. Maybe Cersei is able to get a shot off uh, and maybe something like that is about to go down. Okay, we'll see. I think it's a possibility. Uh, do you have a, a prediction of who's going to get crossbowed? Should we just like lock one in? Should we just like make these pr- these predictions along the way? Yeah, I feel like Cersei ultimately is going to get the crossbow. I like that. I think that's fun. Um, okay. Uh, how about one last one for you? Uh, this is from Podrick Racer. Podrick Racer, the great Podrick Racer writes in, 
uh, and says, did last night's episode shift your thoughts on who will end up on the throne? Sam was pushing against Daenerys ending on the throne, but I'm not sure that John as a reluctant leader can pay off again. Is the view of the show going to be a variation on the Douglas Adams quote? Anyone who's capable of getting themselves made King of Westeros should on no account be allowed to do the job. I am much higher on the chance of the throne being gone than I was one day ago. So we talked about this at the start of the podcast a little bit, Rob, that you have the locked in prediction from our, uh, our preseason podcast that no one will wind up on the iron throne and not known in the Arya sense, but known in the literal sense. And I had Daenerys on the iron throne. I'm feeling less confident about my pick. I'm feeling more confident in yours. Where are you at with the iron throne of it all? Yeah. I didn't feel like that Daenerys had, uh, that, down of a night where really you know she had a uh bad meeting with sam and not even that she was real terrible to sam it was just that sam uh found out what went on with the tarleys which i kind of feel like that he probably would have found that out a little bit sooner but i'm not going to nitpick that uh too much uh and he feels like no uh, uh i think that she's not the right leader but I mean, I think that there are a lot of things that are going to sort themselves out, you know, in these battles that we're going to see. Yeah, I I think that the thing, though, is that the show is asking us pretty directly to question Daenerys as somebody who is fit for the Iron Throne. And, And to me, that could still result in Daenerys being on the Iron Throne if it means that she herself will get to a place of actually questioning what she's done. I think that there's there's ways to make that happen. I think she could find out about Jon Snow and be really freaking angry about it, like Mm -hmm. be furious and pissed about it. And then she could lose a lot, which I think she stands to lose anyway. She could lose more dragons, one or both. She could uh, lose friends like Grey Worm and Missande and Jorah Mormont could all die very soon, totally on the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, She could lose them in deeply traumatic ways. I think like there's no way that wouldn't be somewhat traumatic, but it could be as traumatic as her own undead dragon roasting these people alive with blue fire. Uh, Jon Snow (laughs) roasting them with the blue diamond fire. Uh, Jon Snow could, you know, sacrifice himself for the greater cause. And Daenerys could learn a lot from all of this and maybe suffer, you know, some some humility Mm -hmm. about the way that she has been going about business. And maybe with like the lack of a Jon Snow and the continued existence of a Samwell Tarly, who can then speak to Daenerys on you know the terms that he actually feels perhaps she will be at a place at that point to hear that stuff maybe and maybe maybe she can be the queen that she really ought to be if she is you know going to be somebody that we can feel fantastic about ruling but i think that the current you know operating procedure of Daenerys Targaryen is something that game of thrones as a story very much wants us to think about is it so such a good uh, you know standard yeah. operating procedure? And to me, the bar is pretty low for a, a ruler on the Iron Throne. I think in eight seasons of the show, I think the greatest ruler Westeros has ever known Tommen. is King Tommen. So yeah, of course. I, I think that Daenerys would be a great upgrade over any of the rulers that we've had. I know. I think I still think Tommen would be better. <laughs> Tommen might be better with the right team of advisors around him. Yeah, friend you know, of cats. He did it, you know, try to install the high sparrow also. Yeah, but he didn't know any better. He didn't know any better. So that's that's part of the problem. 
All right, that's all I got. Okay, I think great. That's, that, that's good for our, our inaugural feedback good. show well, we of have the to, final Game of Thrones season. Like Game of Thrones, episode number one of season eight, we have to set the table for the feedback show. Now you know what to do. Now you know where to email got at postshowrecaps.com or use our feedback link. You could also leave us a voicemail at postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. Was there any other ways? That was it. Uh, yeah, the feedback form, the Twitters. Twitter, Twitter. Yeah, was well, you yeah. just tweet round Howard or use hashtag PS recaps? You do both of those things. Okay, either one. Uh, and then on Tuesdays, we will record our show. Of course, uh, Josh has so much going on. There's no chance you read it all. Head on over to THR.com slash Game of Thrones. Listen to uh, Josh and Dan Feinberg on the series regular podcast as well. Josh, uh, how many more articles do you think you will have about the Game of Thrones premiere? Um, I probably will have... I would guess bare minimum six. Six. That's what I would have guessed. But I think it could be as high as 10. Could be as high as 10. Okay. Not impossible. You know, as as we're recording this, we've got, you know, Tuesday hasn't even, Tuesday's not even open for business yet. That's right. All right. So head on over, thr.com slash Game of Thrones. Follow at Round Howard. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast here, postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or postshowrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes. Jessica Lease and Mike Bloom are going to have some Star Trek Discovery finale podcasting uh, coming up as well later on this week. So uh, stay tuned for that all on postshowrecaps.com. Josh, anything else? Nothing. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Special thanks to our friends over at True Car for sponsoring this episode of Post Show Recaps. Every car comes with its share of stories, that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, that luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you save by riding your bike all summer long. While you can't put a price tag on your stories now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof. Watch as they bump up your car's value. High mileage. You already knew it was going to cost you. But now you know how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or to trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas.